Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Osla Ortez. He's an assistant professor. We're going to talk about uh, corn and emerging crops that he's working on and possibly some of his past work on coffee because I love coffee and I, I want to know everything I can about it. But uh, yeah, Osla, thank you for coming. How are you doing today? Thank you, Richard. I am doing pretty good. Thank you for the opportunity of uh, setting some time aside for my conversation this afternoon. Sure. Um, if you would, tell me a bit about your background and how you got into uh, working with different crops. Yeah, that sounds very good. Well, it's a long story, but I will try the short version of it. I was born and raised in northern Nicaragua. I come from a family of uh, coffee producers down there, a small scale. We have produced coffee in my family for about over three decades now. My parents, that's their living back home. So I got involved into that setting since the beginning. I used to go to the farm since I was a kid. I would help in the farm as I was growing up. I will try new things and uh, look up for potential improvements in the operation. All of that put me on the path of wanting to go to college and uh, get a major in agriculture. So I moved to Honduras for that. I went to a Pan-American Agricultural School, Samorano, where the philosophy or the curriculum is entirely based on uh, learning by doing. So I was exposed to a lot of that within the agricultural bracket for four full years. And right after graduation, I moved to the United States. First, I did a couple of internships in Kansas State University. That was in Manhattan, Kansas. From there, I transitioned to a master's degree program uh, working with soybeans. And from soybeans, I transitioned to University of Nebraska-Lincoln in Nebraska for three and a half years working with corn and agronomics and trying to address some farmer issues back at the time. And uh, after finishing up my degree, my last degree there in Nebraska, doctoral degree, I joined The Ohio State University as an assistant professor uh, working with corn and emerging crops. And uh, this is my first year in this new role. So I am still uh, on the learning phase, a lot of new projects and exciting things being developed, but I am just uh, excited to see what will happen in the next several years. Yeah, if it's okay, can we talk a little bit about the coffee 
that you your parents work on what what are some of the interesting learnings you've got from uh, working on coffee absolutely yeah like i said well if if we look if we go by the number of years that's probably the crop that i had the most exposure at this point so i'm drinking some right now to celebrate our conversation about good there you go there you go that's excellent actually right here in my desk in my office i am having some coffee too this is a great time for that afternoon 3 p.m in Worcester, <laughs> ohio actually i am i am having coffee from my farm believe it or not we we have found uh, the right partners here in the U.S. where we ship out uh, raw beans from Nicaragua and they get to process those beans once they arrive here in the U.S. They have a couple of website places where the coffee can be purchased and then that can be delivered anywhere in the U.S. So that's how I get my coffee right now. That's the coffee I am drinking directly from my farm to a it must be It must be really, really good. That's awesome. It's a good one. It's a good one. I get to enjoy it. So let me tell you a little bit more about that because it has been a, again, exciting journey as well. Just the coffee itself. My, my, my dad has produced coffee for close to three decades now. The, the type of farming operation that he has handled has been conventional coffee or commodity coffee. That one goes anywhere around the world and it's, it doesn't have any particular specialty use to it. Now, a few years ago, maybe seven years ago, my family and I started to embark in, in some other ventures, still on the coffee arena. So we started to focus more on the specialty coffee side of things. So we started to grow uh, higher premium beans. We get a much better price. There is a much better interest in the global markets. And again, a lot of that comes here to the United States. That's the coffee that you will find in a kind of gourmet coffee shop in a small town or in a big city. And that's that's what we are doing right now. So I got started on conventional coffee and I walked through the transition into the specialty coffee side of things. So that's that's what that's what brought me uh, to, to coffee. And uh, certainly there has been some improvements that we have uh, been able to to see in uh, since the beginning, you know, transition into better varieties that are more resistant to pests and disease issues, a little bit of a, a better, better tolerance to cold temperatures, better yields, and, and, and that type of thing. It's, it's a slow process. This is a perennial crop. Uh, once you have a established plantation, you can keep that for about 15 years. You don't need to plant every every year as we do in, in other crops here in the States. But uh, oh, why, that, why? Why? Because you can keep harvesting the beans without replanting? Is that why? Yes, yes. The same tree, those are coffee trees. The same tree can produce coffee for that long. I mean, over over 10 years at least. So yes, we get to harvest once per year, usually around December, and then December comes back again, and here we have a new harvest, and and so on and so forth. So that's, quick, that's quick, uh, yeah. Quick question here: How does the taste or the character of the beans change over the fifteen years? Can you tell if it's a fifteen-year-old plant or a two-year-old plant? Oh boy, that's 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 a very interesting question. So. Uh, just to make a little bit of a side note, once you plant a tree in the field, a young tree, it will take about three or four years for that plant to produce coffee. So let's say 
a young plant producing coffee will be four or five years old. And if we compare that to a 15-year-old plant of coffee, which one has, if we can see any distinction, the answer is no. I don't think um, there has been enough documentation or progress that will be actually able to give you that, that answer. Fortunately, there are, there are new uh, projects going all over the place. There is an institution called World Coffee Research Organization, and they are doing an amazing job making progress and answering some of these foundational questions. So that's a great question, and we don't have an answer, I believe, at this point. Oh, okay. Has anyone been able to grow grow coffee indoors hydroponically, or can it only be outdoors? It's outdoors for the most part. I I have not heard of any indoor coffee production. I think this for coffee we need large pieces of lands. It can be a small, but also needs to be outdoors. Perhaps there has been a little bit of work indoors, mostly on the breeding and improvements of varieties. However, I don't think that that would be feasible to scale up at the farm scale perspective. Yes, uh, so I was telling you, I am not aware of any coffee indoor production. I think that when when it comes to coffee, it's just a large crop, a large tree plantation that uh, that's how it operates. Certainly, you can grow coffee in different landscapes. You can grow it in flatlands, low altitudes. You can grow it up in the mountains high altitudes, that's the type of operation that we that we own in, in Nicaragua, up in the mountains. But I don't believe there is any feasibility for this particular crop into uh, indoor operations, other than doing a small, trying to conduct a small research questions, perhaps for improvements of varieties and, and, and so on, but not at a farm scale. Oh, okay. And a question, you said it takes how long, three years or five years for a new plant to produce coffee? Is that right? It's in that range, between three to five years to produce coffee. Once you have a very small tree, maybe 10 inches tall in the field, that's the beginning of that journey. Most supplements are taken on faith and can take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. Has anyone figured out why, how the plant knows that it takes, you know, three to five years? Like what's changing in the plant, let's say, after every winter or every spring? Has anyone documented physiologically what's going on and why it takes that long? That's another great question. And I don't believe, at least not that I am aware of, I don't believe there would be enough documentation or, or research that, that could get to that point. But certainly, I believe it's a matter of just the plant reaching that productive phase in, in its life cycle because there are some there is some variability between varieties you might have some coffee varieties that will produce in three years, and you might have some other varieties that can take a little longer, four years, five years. So I don't believe we have a clear documentation of the physiological processes that how the plant is figuring out, hey, I produce coffee at three, four, or five years. 
Well, what were some of the improvements that you made uh, to your parents' coffee? Yeah, that's a great question. So during my undergrad, this was uh, at the university level, uh, we conducted some uh, research questions where we were looking at uh, nutri- nutritional packages, fertility programs, and trying to see, comparing a few different strategies and trying to see which one of those will have better impact not only on productivity, but also in the quality of those beans. So we were interested in both. And uh, with that research, it was only one year, a small project. We were able to kind of identify some of our best chances of success for higher productivity and higher quality based off the project that we conducted. So those practices are still being implemented in the farm. And this was work done close to 10 years ago now. So we are we are happy with that. By the way, our coffee has been in the national competitions for quality. There is a national competition every year uh, in a lot of coffee producing countries. And two years ago, I believe, we made it to the top 30 in the, in the nation. So we were very proud with those results. And we know that we can make it to the top 10 someday, potentially. We just need to work a little harder on that one. Yeah, once the uh, coffee beans, the raw coffee beans are uh, harvested, I know there's a whole drying process, and I'm not sure if there's a fermentation process, but did you get involved in any of the post-harvest processes, or were you focused just on the growing in the field? Man, that's that's a spot on. That's a great question. I, I don't know, but you, you have a really good idea of what coffee Production, production takes. Yes, there is a fermentation process. There is a washing, uh, washing those beans. In some cases, in some cases, they are just all natural and we don't need to wash them out. You have the fermentation as well. And then you have a couple of processes on the drying phase. And then there will be also some, uh, threshing steps before it makes it to the export phase. So those, those are some of the things. Now, we didn't do a lot of research on that back 10 years ago, but that's something that is becoming more and more important in our days. Just think about the wine industry or the beer industry in the U.S. You know, you have a whole range of interests where consumers, we are getting more picky about it. We, are, we want to try different things on the coffee side. It's true for wine. It's true for beer and other industries. So uh, for coffee, it's no different than that. And that puts us as growers, as producers, to get to play around and see, hey, if we are fermenting coffee for 10 hours, is that any better than fermenting coffee for 40 hours? So we are doing some of those tests in a yearly basis. And we are also looking at different varieties, which one might be our best chance for increasing that quality and increasing the quality will potentially translate into higher prices. So that's that's all we are after and that's work in progress every year. Yeah, how, how does the fermentation occur? What are you using? What's used to ferment and do people know which bacteria are doing the job? We don't we don't do any inoculation of bacteria for the fermentation process. For the most part, it is a natural process. And traditionally the fermentation is nothing else than removing the husk of the fruits, the red husk, the red shell, and letting those beans sit 
for 20, 24, 26 hours. That has been the standard practice for years and years. Now, in the last few years, there has been different things that are being tested. I know there is some people that will spray yogurt, the yogurt that you get in the store. They will dilute that in water and they will spray it with a backpack type of thing. So there are fun and exciting uh, ideas flowing around. Sometimes we can do fermentation. In some cases, being more on the specialty side, we do, we try to isolate oxygen by putting those beans and letting them sit in very well sealed large plastic bags. For example, we do that in some instances. I know there is people that will do it in big barrels, plastic barrels, and they will try to seal them as well to avoid any oxygen exchange with the external environments. But again, the most, the most traditional has been up to this point, just letting them sit in normal open space. I guess, you know, because you're removing the husk, there were anaerobic bacteria there. And then once you remove it, aerobic bacteria come in. So if anyone's characterized what was there before, you know, by sampling the coffee bean between the bean and the, the covering, before it's removed and after it's removed from the surface. I am sorry, you will have to repeat that question. It was cutting off a little bit. Sure, no problem. Sorry about that. Um, I would think that the, uh, the microbes that are on the coffee before the husk is taken off are anaerobic. And I wonder if anyone has sampled between the, the cherry and the rest of the coffee what the microbes are. And then when the, the husk is taken off, now you'd have to have aerobic bacteria um, because they're exposed to the air. So is anyone the kind of bacteria before and after the husk removal? Oh, man, let me ask you this before I answer that question. Have you been exposed to research before? Well, research, and you know, I've interviewed a lot of people, but I just love coffee. And I, I remember um, in Hawaii, I went to a coffee plantation with my wife like uh, about 18 years ago. It was really interesting. So I got to see a little bit of how it's worked. But, you know, I just, I've interviewed a lot of people about microbiome. So I was just curious about that. Oh, yeah. No, I am asking you that, Richard, because, you know, you are asking the right questions and, and to some degree, the hard questions, you know, those are very key points that you are touching on. And, you know, unfortunately, when you look at coffee production, if you go to a map of where coffee is produced around the world, it's mostly in a small, non-developed areas, you know, so... And I am giving you this background because what that will suggest is that there are now a whole bunch of resources where some of these questions can be explored, started, and understood. So I, I will say that those are very important points. Certainly, there should be transitions, like you said, different bacteria before moving the husk and after, because yes, you are exposing to aerobic versus anaerobic conditions. However, I am not aware of a characterization to this point, or there might be some work out there, is, and it's just that I, I, I have not come across that, but those are great points, and, and I believe that that's certainly happening as we are transitioning from one type of beans to the next phase, to the next phase, up to the export. Yeah, I realize that everything we eat, unless it's produced in a factory, microbes eat it first or work on it first. And then after we eat it, our microbes work on it again. So every food that we eat or drink that we have, microbes are working on it at least twice. 
Exactly. Exactly. So there is there is a lot of that and, and that shouldn't be any different for coffee. So I completely agree with that that point. So Richard, I don't know if we will have more time, but that, that's kind of the overview for coffee. Again, this is a learning adventure. We are still every year trying new things, reaching out to friends, reaching out to experts, trying to expand and explore new markets. Just to give you an idea, our conventional coffee last year sold for about $1.2 a pound, okay? Now, our specialty coffee sold for about $2.4 a pound. You know, right there, you have a double price. So the specialty coffee market is that is the one that we continue to try to expand, explore, and be better at. So that's that's just to give some context there and some of the of, of the drivers motives, but uh, just you know I I I would like to also touch base about my my new roles here in in the states and and some of the things that I am doing if that's something that will interest the program. Sure, you're working on corn right now, I believe, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what so, what are some of the research questions about corn you're trying to answer? All right. So let let's see. Corn, corn production, you know, uh, United States is one of the top producers globally for corn. And here in the U.S. Midwest, all the way from Nebraska, Colorado, Kansas, in the West, and then you move all the way east up to Ohio, Indiana, and even Pennsylvania. That's where the core production for corn happens. And uh, that's, that's my, that's what I am doing here at, at the university. In, in Ohio State. So my, my new position here is, is dedicated to answering some of the basic agronomic questions that farmers might have on this arena. And that can expand anywhere from planting dates, seeding rates, different hybrids, some of the weather issues, some of cold temperatures, heat, drought, all of the things that the crop is exposed is certainly a big difference with my background there on the coffee side you know coffee you go you plant it and then you have a farm for 15 the next 15 years with corn is is a very different situation in terms that you are planting corn every year or you are hopefully rotating that crop with another crop maybe with soybeans or or a few other things so my my focus is is along those lines here in ohio my position has research extension and outreach components. That means that my research question is very applied. I work on a day-to-day basis with farmers, with educators, with stakeholders, industry around the state, trying to answer some of those fundamental questions that can help us to improve production of corn in Ohio and hopefully even beyond the state lines. Well, is the goal just pure yield? maximization or are there other goals right now you're working on? That's a great question too. And for the most part, when we look at corn, corn is a commodity crop in a large, to a large degree. There are also some specialty corn types where there are some specific market niches that we look at different things. But my focus, let's say, is the commodity corn that, that, that you sell for different uses. It can be for biofuel. It can be for feeding livestock. It can be for some other smaller industries too, but for the most part, our research is driven by productivity, as you as you pointed out. So we look a lot into yields. We we want to produce as as much as we can 
for the same unit of area. And we have been fortunate as we look at the transitions all the way from 1920s, 1950s here in the U.S., especially from the 1950s and later, there has been very good increases in terms of productivity and yields over time. And that's a trend that we continue to see up to this point. And it's just exciting to see what future will bring in the next 20, 40, 50 years. We hope to be driving some of those increases. We pay a lot of attention to in our research, in our day-to-day work, also trying to be producing something that is sustainable from the economical standpoint, from the environmental standpoint, and just from trying to aim what is good for the community and and good for society. So um, any other particular questions that you're researching right now as as, as it relates to corn? I mean, these seem like more generic, but is there any specific uh, project you're working on with corn that you can talk about briefly? Absolutely. Yeah, one of the one of the main projects that I am leading right now is um, it goes back to corn production and also how to integrate cover crops as a as a practice that can help us alleviate some of the uh, pressures or the limitations that we might have in our cropping systems. So this project is looking at corn, soybeans, and cover crop. Corn and soybeans are two crops that usually go hand by hand. They are are recommended rotation. So rotating crops can help in different dynamics, nutrient cycling, breaking pest and disease cycles, better water, better nutrients, better ecosystem services. Now, cover crops comes into play because when we don't have corn or soybean in the ground, we don't recommend having bare ground. We want to have something growing, something green, something that can help us hold nutrients into that soil, something that can help us hold water into that soil. So that's one of my main projects right now. And this is uh, supported by the United States Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Innovation Grants. Another project that we have going on, we are looking at different nutrients uh, programs, specifically sulfur and nitrogen in corn. We want to see how that can have an impact not only in yields or productivity, but also in the quality of what we are getting out of the system in terms of grain, or in some cases, corn is harvested as silage to feed uh, livestock. So those are some of the things that I have uh, going on right now on the corn on the corn spectrum. Okay. Well, very good. Osla, we're, we're out of time for today, but I'd like to have you back to talk about some more of your research. But for now, uh, where can people find out more about your work? Where can they go? That's that's a great question. So let's see. I will I will be willing to share some of the links and resources where you can find uh, my information about my program projects outcomes. So I will be I can email you those links, Richard. And I don't know when you okay. do the the release of the podcast. Perhaps that can be a footnote or or something like that. Yeah, With we'll put it form. in what's called the the show notes. That sounds great. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. I will be sending you some resources and I can also uh, email you a quick bio, a couple of sentences of, of who I who I am and what I am doing here. Okay, well, very good. Well, also, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's great to be able to answer some of the questions. And like I said before, this is progress coming ar- around and uh, exciting to see what will happen in the next several years. Excellent. Remember, before you go, 
to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing all-natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to GeniusPollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.